Was John Moxley's title reign actually good? Could we or could we see him face Kenny Omega in the near future? And is John Moxley the face of the company? We'll find out on this week's Ah, oh, who am I kidding? Do, do we need to do an episode on John Moxley? Kenny Omega One, baby! Woo! Kenny! 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 What? Oh, God. Freaking tweet messages. I, I... I need to actually do an episode on John Moxley. Or... My, my show will be cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, are you serious? <sighs> okay, okay. I'm sure if I just go in to the place, you know, all socially distance, everything, everything's gonna be fine. You're gonna, you're gonna cancel my show with emojis? Emojis? What kind of paradigm shift are you looking for? You're, you're gonna cancel my show. Are, are you f***ing serious? No, you're not. This is my show. Give me. I'm not edgy enough, huh? Give me the drop. Give it. There is no way in hell they are stopping this right here and right. Oh, are those cookies. Oh, that's so nice of you. Oh, you guys are the best. week's episode of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast, we'll be discussing the purveyor of violence. It's John Moxley! Or my thoughts on his former AEW world title reign, where I think he could go from here, and where on earth will he go next? So for now, tell your friends, tell your friendliest friends, tell them all about this new and exciting edition of the Wrestling With Fiction. Ladies, gentlemen, and lady gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling With Fiction podcast. My name is Connor, and I don't think I ever want to do as much shouting as I did in that skit ever again. And speaking of shouting out, talking loud... And given general paradigm shifts, we're talking about John Moxley this week. And his current run. Now that he's no longer AEW World Champion. That that feels very weird at the moment. For those of you new here and don't know what the Wrestling With Fiction podcast is. This is the show where I try and pitch multiple storylines for whatever wrestler of the week. And in this case, I think John Moxley's a very interesting case. He's a guy who is kind of directionless at this point. I, I feel like a lot of people assume he's just going to go and face Kenny Omega straight away. But AEW likes to book their former like challengers and world champions to kind of go straight into another feud. We've seen it with Jericho, with Orange Cassidy. We've seen it with... MJF with the Inner Circle, we saw it with Eddie Kingston and Pac, well now Lance Archer, I don't know where that story's going. And I feel like it would just be interesting to talk about, what on earth would John Moxley do after having, I think the longest AEW world title reign? And I think I've got a couple suggestions, so 
bear with me. We'll get into each of them as they come. So, I think we should get one that I think is kind of an obvious feud if you think about it. But I don't think anyone's really seeing it, especially since we haven't seen John Moxley at all in the past week or so. So, let's begin with the first one, which I hope will give a huge impact, so to speak. Don Callis! I'm serious. Now, I know what you're thinking initially. Why not Kenny Omega in this spot? He's the AEW World Champion. He he pinned John Moxley for the AEW World Championship. And here lies the problem here. It wasn't Kenny who won the match solely clean by himself. It was Don Callis. It's the classic GM screwing a particular wrestler out of a championship. And I know what you guys are thinking with this. It's That's kind of a cliche story. But cliche isn't bad unless all the storyline stuff makes sense. Predictable isn't bad. Look at Sami Zayn versus Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship. That story is entirely predictable, but the outcome was amazing. I feel... That's kind of the thing with Moxley and Don Callis. If we go back to some of the old stuff with Don Moxley, I'm talking his promo that he had before eventually feuding with Chris Jericho, where he says, and I quote, I am napalm deaf, and I will get you eventually. Moxley as a character is someone who's incredibly vendettive. He's a guy who... In many of his feuds as world champion have been about getting back at the people who have targeted him. Look at the Brody Lee feud in which he was trying to take out members of the Dark Order. Uh, look at his feud with Eddie Kingston where he was saying he was doing this for Eddie Kingston's mom who he promised he would take care of. All of that stuff kind of ties into John Moxley's character. And for the most part... He's kind of been the face of AEW for the past year or so. His stuff, he's been essentially the face of the pandemic era. And I know I got my words confused there, but he has been, for the most part, 277 days as world champion. I could be getting that date wrong specifically, and I'll admit that. But even so, that's basically been throughout the entire pandemic era of pro wrestling. And Don Callis is very much that GM figure who's the complete opposite of John Moxley. He's a guy who, as he said himself, left the business for 15 years, who, in comparison to Moxley, has been a guy who's constantly grinding. His whole title reign has been him facing these progressively tougher and tougher opponents. All of these very hard-hitting guys. You see some of his previous opponents. Jake Hager, Eddie Kingston. Uh, you know, when he won the title, Jericho. I think you can have this almost interbrand thing, now that we have this AEW Impact deal, 
where Moxley can't fight Kenny yet because he's so busy with all these other things. Remember what Kenny Omega's character is right now and where Moxley could potentially get a chance of getting the world title shot again. He's in AAA, defending the Mega A Triple Mega Championship. I completely butchered that. He's appears to be going back to Impact a lot more frequently. And he's also on AEW. If we're going by storyline convenience here, Moxley's going to have a hard time even getting close to him. And one of the reasons for that is Don Callis' master plan. Which sounds like something that Moxley could easily break. You can have these week-to-week situations where Moxley's just trying to get to Kenny Omega. And he's trying to sort of like chase after him. And just get his... I'm going to say supposed rematch, but arguably he's entitled one. He's had probably one of the best runs in the company. He has only one loss to his name in AEW. That's a big thing. And he's constantly stopped by Don Callis and the Impact roster. Because that's a whole roster of talent who could be around Don Callis. And you could just have this week after week Impact, AEW... Him just sort of invading shows, being that purveyor of violence that got him over initially in AEW. The guy who chucked Kenny Omega over with poker chips. That's the one thing that I think has been missing with John Moxley's character since he'd won the world title. Was that need for aggression and proving himself. When you're at the top of the mountain, particularly if you're AEW world champion, you don't really have a reason to fight against the machine because you don't really have any injustice. You're kind of defending the mountain, so to speak. You, you got guys who are trying to climb up and take your spot. That's kind of what John Moxley's character's been for the past year. For me, this is a, like, Vince McMahon stone-cold situation that you can play out in multiple promotions. Not just Impact in AEW. If Don Callis is a regular manager for Kenny Omega, you can see him in AAA. Potentially New Japan. Because Moxley's still the US champion. Uh, I'm sure Kenny Omega kind of wants to be Thanos at this point and just take all the belts. I think that's something that could be very fun. And it plays around with the whole thing that AEW's tried to strive for and it's getting yourself over and what better way to see if your stars are over than to put them in multiple promotions I think I think it has a lot of potential to just sort of keep Moxley's story running I think out of anyone in AEW uh, the main people who are arguably the faces of that company right now would probably be Cody Rhodes and John Moxley himself. I know we've got the EVPs like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, but I think it's just kind of what the spirit of AEW is. Moxley is that to a T. He's the guy who just walked straight into the company and said that he demanded change in the wrestling business, which is kind of what AEW's been all about. And having him chase after 
a man with a huge position of authority, anti-establishment, that just fits John Moxley like a glove. He isn't a guy who is going to get over by just doing 20 or 30 minutes wrestling clicks. And I'm not saying John Moxley can't do that. It's just that I think the appeal of John Moxley has always been him kicking ass, taking names, and, you know, just being amazing at promos. And imagine the promo battles you can get with Don Callis. How he's kind of justifying to himself that this was all part of a plan. You weren't factored into any of this at all. You were just in the right place at the right time. You're a great athlete, but you're not a great champion. Like Kenny Omega. (laughs) And that's kind of the thing that keeps Moxley's story going. You can't just put him back into a world title program. Otherwise, you're kind of burning off that big third match between Kenny and Moxley that you can put down the line. Having him chase after Don Callis... I think that's got a lot of legs, and it can be very satisfying when John Moxley finally gets his hands on Don Callis after fighting through basically a huge portion of the Impact roster. It gets the Impact guys a little bit more screen time, it makes John Moxley look like a badass because he's essentially taken on a whole roster, essentially by himself just to get to management. It's very Stone Cold-esque. And I think that comparison's been made with Moxley ever since he's had prominence in the WWE and also his time in AEW so far. So with that in mind, I think we should move on to something that's still kind of unconventional, possibly. But I think it gives us a clue to a story that's kind of been in the backbone of AEW since the whole Winter is Coming special. And that's Who attacked John Moxley? By God, Santa's coming, and he's doing it for the Good Brothers. Yes, I think the Good Brothers did this. So, for those of you unaware of what I'm inferring, before this whole thing with Kenny winning the world title... There was that whole bit where John Moxley was attacked during the whole contract signing. And they established that it wasn't Kenny who attacked John Moxley, but someone was hired to. And a lot of people had these theories about specifically why or who attacked John Moxley. And one of the main clues that they had was the Tariot card of the hangman. So a lot of people initially thought it was going to be Hangman Page because, well, Hangman's a close friend of Omega still. He kind of wants to rekindle that friendship with the Elite. But I feel like people got that wrong specifically. Whilst Moxley's body kind of looked like that, I think that the card they were referring to was the reverse Hangman. Let me explain what that means. So, the tarot card reading that people were inferring about the hangman. If you look at it as the reverse hangman, it tends to stand for egotism, 
inability to change and missing opportunity. Or that's kind of the bare bones of the whole thing. And I feel that those don't really fit the description of Hangman and kind of how the camera shot John Moxley when he was attacked. I feel like that fits the Good Brothers a hell of a lot more if you know their context. They are people signed to Impact Wrestling, you already know them, Gallows and Anderson, who have spoken vocally on how they feel they missed an opportunity joining AEW and re-signing with WWE, which they arguably regret doing. They've said it vocally with the Young Bucks, they even did a BTE skit on it. Inability to change, I think that ties in with Kenny Omega, specifically both of them being former Bullet Club alumni. That's kind of a very important thing. And egotism is just the Bullet Club in general. The foreign gaijins who wanted to take over Japan. And that kind of brotherhood between them. If there's anyone that John Moxley could be attacked by, who is not Kenny Omega himself, because I don't believe Don Callis could do that. I I think that fits the Good Brothers description very well. And it ties into the whole idea that they wanted with Bullet Club versus the Elite. Except you can't get AJ Styles, so you get the next best thing. But I'm going to get off that whole topic because that's a that's a whole other discussion. We're talking about Moxley versus the Good Brothers here. So the way that I envision this is that Look at how currently, I need to quickly rephrase everything in my head, Impact Wrestling is going to have Kenny Omega return this week on Tuesday nights. Plug for Impact Wrestling. And you got to imagine at some point, because they already had the Tony Khan cameo in AEW in the Impact stuff as a paid ad. you got to imagine that John Moxley could potentially infiltrate there, right? You know, we haven't seen him in over a week. Of course he's going to want his world title back. He spent 277 days with it, claiming he's the face of the company. So, what better time would it be for him to just sneak across the guardrails, because there's nobody there, only to be interrupted by Gallows and Anderson, the current Impact Tag Team Champions? Immediately, you've put Moxley in a good kind of underdog position, where he can't face the champion yet, but he has to face these guys. Which is always a good establishment for any feud that you have with a babyface who's a former champion. And what this establishes specifically for me is a conflict for John Moxley. He doesn't really have much of a character flaw, other than he's incredibly impulsive as a character. If you look at John Moxley throughout his entire AEW career, it's been walking through crowds and crowds of people, hitting paradigm shifts onto people, all the while being punished in these sort of group assaults. A lot of people that John Moxley's faced are people in factions, because that's kind of how AEW's run. He's one of the very few lone wolves in that company. So you're kind of giving him a similar stage to what he's had with the world title run, except you're putting it in a slightly different context where John Moxley can kind of 
go rampant and roughshod all over town. But I can imagine the way that this can go could be week to week. You know, him trying to get to Kenny by being blocked by the Good Brothers. At some point in the feud, he starts asking for a singles match. Because at this point he said, you know what? Kenny can wait. I want to beat the living S-word out of you guys. And so it starts out as singles matches. Ones with Carl Anderson, who, by the way, super underrated singles guy. Uh, Doc Gallows, who isn't really a slouch either. And you can tell the story that John Moxley, as a singles competitor, can definitely beat these guys. But as a tag team, oh no. These guys are called the Good Brothers. They are literally like brothers. There ain't no way Moxley's beating them without a partner. So you tell the story of John Moxley having to make allies. Something that he hasn't really done before. You look at the retrospective of John Moxley's career, even from WWE to AEW, he was kind of already put into groups. He got put into the Shield, and then that whole faction split up, and then they had reunions, and they split up, then they had reunions, then they split up, and you know the deal. Then... When he comes to AEW, he's on his own as times begin to shift. More and more people get introduced and more and more factions get formed as his title reign gets longer and longer. And because all these people in groups, he doesn't really have many friends. Many people who can help him out in this particular situation. So you can have this thing where he's constantly getting assaulted by these guys. Uh, you know, Good Brother Bullet Club style. They beat the living S-word out of him, put him through announce tables. Too sweet, they're the Impact Tag Team Champions. They're the best tag team in the world. So, this is kind of, it's still a John Moxley story. But it isn't his story alone. Because I suggest that he gets some help from Eddie Kingston. And I know what you might be thinking here. He's just went off a big blood feud with this guy. He's a guy who would betray anyone to essentially win a title. That's been Eddie Kingston's whole character since he's been to AEW. He's been the guy who feels like he's been long forgotten. There's so much story and context put into his former feud with Moxley. The the pride that Eddie Kingston lost when he was like actively almost in tears saying that he had to quit against John Moxley. And Eddie hasn't really recovered from that. His last interaction with John Moxley when he was asking Kenny about who could have attacked him, Eddie said bluntly to him, look, you know it couldn't have been me. You know I would do it straight to your face. I think you know who this is. And for me, that shows trust. That shows a chance for kind of a redemption thing, because I think there's a lot of mileage out of a John Moxley, Eddie Kingston pairing. Both guys are people who 
grew up in sort of rough streets, rough neighborhoods, fighting for their lives. Eddie Kingston, having his own mother promised by John Moxley that he will take care of Eddie Kingston. There's a real big chance for like a Eddie Kingston face turn. Because I don't think this whole Butcher and Blade thing's going to last forever. And if you want to move him into a thing, Moxley's been incredibly vocal about moving into the tag division as early as, I think, March, I believe. It was an article that I think was done by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I could be wrong. It's been a long time. It's been stuck in my head, though. And I'd be curious, who would he partner with? So you can have this former, like, enemies turned friends turned enemies again, kind of aligning for the greater good, because at the end of the day, they both want the world title, and they both want to essentially kick these guys' butts because they're trying to take over this company. They're preventing us from getting to the big prize that is the AEW world title. I think that's a very kind of interesting dynamic. It builds on Moxley's character and how... Even after all the bad blood, he's still willing to forgive Eddie. And Eddie, vice versa, gets a little bit more development. We can see the more, I guess, pure side to Eddie Kingston. Because whenever Eddie Kingston cuts a promo, it comes off like everything is so real to him. I think some of that can rub off on Moxley as well. And then you can just have these badass hardcore matches. Because I think this would lead to a hardcore match. Between the Good Brothers and this team. With just kendo stick shots. Maybe the whole alcohol spot. With like John Moxley and Eddie Kingston's match at full gear. Except they're doing it together as brothers. Maybe if you want. You can have them both do a double bull bulldog choke spot. Which was the thing that Eddie had to give up to. And the thing that he kept on claiming. That he never tapped out initially to John Moxley. You can still have that pride with Eddie Kingston and with John Moxley and put it into something else. I think with that you can have this almost like comic book style team up where both people are kind of reluctant to work together but for the greater good they have to take on the Good Brothers. And maybe if you want to keep this AEW Impact interbrand thing that could possibly happen have them win the tag titles for a bit. Maybe that's crazy that you're putting your former AEW world champion into a tag team makeshift thing and have them win the belts. But I think it's a believable thing considering how deep and entrenched their history is. I imagine that in a character perspective, they have amazing chemistry together. And maybe you don't want to take the titles off the Good Brothers. I can understand that, but that doesn't mean that they can't win it back straight away. What this is designed to do, for me, is to expand John Moxley's allies, build up his character, and, you know, really build off the stuff that Eddie Kingston's feud did for Moxley. And for me, that's add a layer of humanity to the guy. Before the feud with Eddie Kingston, he was just kind of this badass who just did stuff, but with Eddie Kingston, you got to see a human side of his character. And I think that's a thing that is valuable for any type of pro wrestler, anything that can help you 
humanize and connect them with the crowd is great. And that's been the strength of Eddie Kingston. And it's been the thing that's really made me care about Jon Moxley. Especially into the late ends of his world title run. So with that in mind. I think that we should really tone this down a bit. I, I'm really thirsty. So I think I'm going to go get some orange juice. So I'm just going to go to the interlude. <laughs> Orange Cassidy! Yes, that whole random thing with orange juice was a segue! Not a good one, but we're sticking with it anyways. So, Orange Cassidy. I understand that on the paper this kind of sounds ridiculous. As were the previous two. Both of them... Baby faces, kind of an odd makeshift thing. Orange Cassidy, a guy who's inherently very lazy. A guy who I imagine in his spare time just stares at a wall, looking at a photo of himself, making a lot of money off of pro wrestling tees. If any of you guys saw the Chris Van Vliet interview with the guy who makes pro wrestling tees. He's a guy who I think is the complete opposite of John Moxley. John Moxley is a guy who's been very sort of determined and fired up for a lot of things. He's a very fired up character who will take out his rage on anything within like a square feet of him. Cassidy is kind of the opposite, though we've seen serious sides to him. And the context I think this feud would occur is another impact thing. This has been the kind of common thread since we're talking about where John Moxley could go. And this, for me, is prep for a future Blood and Guts match. Team Impact versus Team AEW. Some of the best of AEW against some of the best of Impact. And I admit I haven't really thought about many people who would specifically be in the team. But part of me would believe, if it's all singles, guys, it could be John Moxley, uh, Orange Cassidy, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, uh, Cody, and somebody else. Hangman Page, there we go. And for me, this kind of interaction would be that John Moxley would not take Cassidy seriously in this match. Because Orange Cassidy is a guy who's inherently lazy at everything. His feud with Chris Jericho, his feud with Pac, it's all based around his laziness and him trying. I imagine that John Moxley would be pissed that this man is not trying. Especially since he's seen what hardcore stuff the best friends could do in their match with Santana and Ortiz. The stuff with Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian, if you guys remember that. And I think this feud would be designed to kind of show a more vicious side of Moxley. And at the same time, a vicious side of Cassidy. It's the 
It's the meme of Shaggy seeing if he can use 100% of his power finally. And John Moxley, the guy who's just egging him on to do it, because he knows what these guys are capable of. He knows what some of these Impact guys like Sammy Callahan he's had a lot of history with. There's guys like Ace Austin, who's a very sort of young guy who's up and coming in the wrestling business. Uh, you've got guys like Eddie Edwards, who's taken on this new hardcore streak. And I imagine in this type of situation, he's going to want to toughen up Orange Cassidy. A guy who, as I've said multiple times, super goddamn lazy. So for me, it's a whole build of matches with John Moxley on commentary asking what is it going to take for Orange Cassidy to go all out from the get-go. So I imagine that it's a thing where Moxley's on commentary. Uh, Cassidy wins. Moxley beats him up for a bit. I know that sounds heelish, but I think you can play it off as tough love. Moxley's not been afraid of just walking into the something and then hitting a paradigm shift. I understand that that might make Cassidy look weak, but you gotta imagine that Cassidy is the relatable guy who just doesn't try 100% all the time. So you can start building that aggressive side of Cassidy and that sort of, I really want to see John Moxley get beaten up for this. I know his intentions are good and the stakes are high, but... These guys need to work together. It's the Survivor Series. Can they coexist? I can't believe I just thought of that. It's the Survivor Series. Can they coexist? And you build this thing where Moxley's taking on members of the best friends. Trent. Chucky e. T. And, you know, he beats them decisively. You, you can't really have them get over at this point. In a singles capacity. And you have Orange Cassidy, you know, no smiles, taking off the sunglasses. Moxley sort of egging him on. Like, do it. Hit me. Hit me. And then he just hits a Superman punch. And then we build to an eventual pay-per-view match. Maybe something a little bit before this blood and guts thing. I think you can drag that out a ton. A hardcore match, because I think Moxley's going to thrive in those things. I still remember the Joey Janela one. And you embrace this sort of aggressive side of Cassidy. You can have the commentators put over. This is his first time that he's trying 100%. So you can have this more vicious side of Moxley. Maybe if you want. This is probably too extreme for AEW. A flaming table. I, I don't know why I want to see a flaming table. That's probably not a good idea. But part of me wants to see a flaming table. Maybe if you want to have a comedy spot, Orange Cassidy sprays some orange juice over it. Because he's freshly squeezed. I still remember when he used to bring orange juice to the ring. Back in his old indie days. That would be a nice little callback. Uh, you could have this thing with like Moxley just constantly just beating the living S word out of Orange. Because Orange's appeal is that when he does try, he's amazing. But when he's lazy, it's tactical. It gets in people's heads. And that's the thing that Orange, that not Orange, Moxley could learn from this. Again, this is another thing about growing the perception of your character. It makes Moxley come off as a lot smarter, knowing that now he kind of knows the strategy of him because he's never really 
been in the ring with Cassidy. And it makes Cassidy look a hell of a lot smarter. And it also shows the, once again, the sort of mean streak that this guy could have. Because I think Cassidy has a lot more mileage in him. And I think a lot of people can see that too. I don't think you can just have him draw with Cody and not have it be a big deal. I think there's a lot more mileage in both guys. And I think it can build that kind of lack of trust that Moxley has with a bunch of other wrestlers. So we may as well just move on to the last guy who was one of the very few that he did actually trust. Powerhouse Hobbs! I I still want to call him Will. Is it just me who wants to call him Will? I liked the whole willpower shtick. But yeah, Will Hobbs. Anyone still remember the six-man tag match that was meant to happen? Darby, Moxley, Hobbs versus Brian Cage, Lance Archer, and Ricky Starks. That got changed due to COVID. Yeah. Kind of wish Will turned there. A little bit. That's just me. I I still enjoyed the Will Hobbs heel turn. But I think that's kind of an angle you can do with Hobbs now. Is Hobbs versus Moxley. Kind of gives Hobbs his first big program. And I know what some of you will be thinking. Isn't that a very big downgrade for Moxley? I don't necessarily think it is. I think Moxley is kind of a type of guy who's been... Very vocal about elevating talent. The stuff with Darby Allen's been a big example of that. If you want my opinion, I think after the long run that Moxley's had, especially working with guys like Hager and Brody and all these other guys, I think he's a good fit to face Hobbs right now. For me, it's kind of a good position for Moxley to be in. I feel that What AEW does a really good job with is that it makes it so if you get another shot at the title, you've really properly earned it. You see guys like Lance Archer who lost the TNT title tournament slowly get so many extra wins back on Dark, then on Dynamite, to eventually get a shot in which he had to win a Casino Battle Royal for. I think if you're going to put this as a feud, it's more about Jon Moxley bouncing back from such a big loss and putting him in the ring with Hobbs, you kind of give Moxley a layer of credibility of like, he's taken on another big guy and he's conquered it. Because Will Hobbs is kind of that mixture of like power and speed. He isn't necessarily super athletic like a Brian Cage for example, but he's got a ton of potential. He's a person who I think could go so far with enough time. I think putting him in Team Taz has been a great thing for him. I think the new ring gear is awesome. It's kind of the closest that Taz has had to a successor sort of look. Especially with the new sort of like orange and black and the sort of like white shoes. He feels like a great fit in Team Taz now that he has the whole look change. I I feel that you can kind of 
go off the idea that Moxley really valued the future in Will Hobbs, and he feels like Taz has sort of corrupted him. Because that's been Taz's whole thing, has been, especially with the stuff with Cody, kind of trying to prove that he's still, like, a really good wrestler, and the stuff that he teaches is legitimate and good. He calls himself... He calls his crew Team Taz for a reason. It's all a whole thing to boost his own ego about how he was the human suplex machine, uh, absolutely dominating force back in ECW. He brought back his old title, the FTW Championship, just to prove how awesome he is. And Hobbs is just an extension of that. He's, he's a person who, before coming up, didn't really get much of his babyface backstory presented to the audience on Dynamite, but it was a little bit on Dark. Kind of how he's doing this for, I believe it was his brother, who he was also training with initially at the time, who took a bullet for him. I, I could be entirely wrong with that whole backstory. I think that it was roughly around that. And that thing wasn't really well explained, so just having him turn heel I think was a wise decision. It certainly makes him a lot more interesting. You're giving him great TV time and experience with promo guys like Ricky Starks, who is absolutely fantastic in the role he's been in. And you've got a guy like Brian Cage who just works bloody gangbusters with him. I think Will Hobbs can learn a ton from Brian Cage, but we're getting off topic and I'm going on a tangent. Damn it. I think it will be a very good match to sort of see where Will Hobbs is at. Not necessarily to have him win and get a big win over a former AEW World Champion, because I don't think Hobbs is ready for that. It's kind of about putting the odds against John Moxley again. Except now he has all the more reason to just beat the S-word out of people. I can totally see a conflict between Moxley and Taz sort of happening because of the parallels between the two. Specifically from how both are incredibly aggressive in ring. I think that's a very cool thing. You can also have the whole friendship dynamic with Hobbs. Where he's just trying to get him to come back to his regular side. They can talk about sort of the rough parts. Uh, yeah, that is going to sound weird out of context. But you know what I mean. The rough parts about Will Hobbs' babyface backstory. And John Moxley's whole thing about how he's wanting to prove like a paradigm shift. We're hard workers. Are the big successes in wrestling. They want to change the business. And have Will Hobbs be one of the centerpieces of that. Because I think he's still a very young guy. I could be wrong. And just have this kind of successor thing. Which Moxie was kind of admiring Will Hobbs for. When he first debuted on Dynamite. Where he was like, oh, I love your tenacity. I love the fire. It's getting me fired up. And really bring that in. So that's kind of the basis of that. It isn't really much, but it's just an idea I sort of came up with. So with that in mind, I think we should get on to the final segment of the show. Some of you may know it, some of you may not if you're new to the podcast. It is a little segment I like to call Fantasy Fumble. For those of you unaware what Fantasy Fumble is, it is the weirdest, wackiest storyline that I can come up with that I completely improvise on the spot recounted to some very panic-inducing music. So, we're going to get started with this now, ladies and gentlemen. So, Fantasy Fumble will begin in 3, 2, 
one fumble. Let the dumpster fire begin! Okay, so, uh, John Moxley, he is a guy, he's a thing, he likes his weapons, he does the thing thing that da 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 do And he is on AEW Dark. Why is he on AEW Dark? Because everybody goes on AEW Dark at some point, am I right? So, he's there, he's having a match against Fuego, who's trying to hit that sacred tornado DDT. And... All of a sudden, as this is happening, the acclaimed come out, and you know they're doing their raps. I, you, you're gonna tell how old and lame I am here. Where he's just like, it's the acclaimed, da 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 da. Moxley, you are the best. Not really though. You ain't got the title on your chest. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when the acclaimed kick you in the face, dude? I don't know. That's what we're doing. <laughs> And yes, the Acclaim come out, and they're not alone, they have weapons, they have violence. Because the Acclaimed aren't just rappers, they are like John Cena, they will distract their way through AEW. So they beat up John Moxley. So the next night on Dynamite, Moxley is getting ready for his big match. The music starts playing, Justin Roberts is chanting, he's... He's going into that very long chad. Oh god, yeah, he goes into that. And the acclaimed attack Justin Roberts in the middle of his entrance. What? Why? Because I think that that would get a ton of heat from a crowd. <laughs> so immediately, John Moxley chases after the acclaimed. They run. He runs through the rafters. And by proxy because of this, he gets counted out! Moxley loses a match because of the acclaimed. What the hell is happening here? And so it keeps happening. John Moxley's entering the ring. And there's these random distractions from the acclaimed. Rapping distracts. We get several segments of the acclaimed rapping about how they're facing a new John, but it isn't Cena. And just like him, you can't see me, we can't see- I don't know, I don't know how to rap. And so that happens. And we have John Moxley essentially chasing around the acclaimed week after week after week. Until it's settled that on a very special Fight for the Fallen episode of AEW Dynamite, it's going to be John Moxley with a mystery partner against the acclaimed. So the acclaimed... They already know, there's nobody there, so we, they start dissing everyone who could join him. Darby Allen and his weird short films. Uh, Eddie Kingston and his mama, Mama Kingston. Uh, they start even dissing Michael Nakazawa. Why Michael Nakazawa? Because I don't know who else would team with Moxley at this point. <laughs> and so it comes to the match. The acclaimed is out there. They're, they're rapping, they're dissing everyone in the crowd, because I imagine that's something you can do with them. And then Moxley comes out. He comes out with a kendo stick, with a barbed wire baseball bat, and a load of baby oil. It's Michael Nakazawa as his mysterious partner! So they're going into a match. It's the acclaimed versus Nakazawa and John Moxley. And so it's all chaos ensuing. 
microphones being hit in the face of John Moxley and Michael Nakazawa. The acclaimed using Justin Roberts again as a meat shield. Moxley, of course, not attacking. And of course, Michael Nakazawa in a very surprisingly clever move using baby oil to hit the acclaimed, hitting the microphones, electricity coming off it and electrocuting the acclaimed. Because they are acclaimed in destruction and pain, but they're not acclaimed to baby oil. And so John Moxley eventually, with them isolated, nowhere to go. He summons the strength to hit a paradigm shift after paradigm shift onto the baby oil, onto the bat. And then as he gets to the cover, he grabs the microphone. He raps. He says that the acclaimed, you're acclaimed for what? I don't know. The acclaimed. What is the shame? It's you losing today. Fight for the Fallen is the name. One, two, three. John Moxley wins. And then in this time of struggle and pain and all this other that has been acclaimed, we have discovered that John Moxley is not just a man. He is a mission and he is a paradigm shift. Honestly, most well-constructed one I think I've done of these. I I'm actually kind of proud of myself. <laughs> wow. I, I'm confused by this feud. I don't think it makes sense. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I Thank you for listening to this. I hope all of you have a lovely day. Uh, thank you to all the new people who just randomly been listening to episodes. It's been amazing. It's been amazing actually finally sort of getting into the podcast community and sort of hearing some people's responses to it. And if you'd like to spread some responses, you can follow me on Instagram at Wrestling With Fiction, or you can follow me on Twitter at Connor the Cooper, where we currently have a poll for next week's episode. If you you can decide what the hell I'm going to talk about next week, and you have the options of Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Karrion Cross, and Santa. I, I'm not even kidding. I am planning to book Santa, because it's Christmas. So anyways... If you want to do that, follow me at Connor the Cooper. If not, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a lovely day. And remember, everyone, wrestling can always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody.